1: Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your
2: stay. Oh, the weather
1: outside
2: is frightful, and the fire is so delightful, and since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, or in this case, rain outside. It's been raining in L.A., thank goodness it even hailed today a you may bit? uh i don't know if it'll come through on the mics but there's been a little bit of thunder yeah so maybe you'll hear that at some point in the thunder don't 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 you guys get two songs
3: today <laughs> <laughs> it <as> a song. <laughs> yeah what's up everybody you are watching slash listening
2: to the command zone podcast i'm your host jimmy wong how's it it's josh lee kwai it's almost december it is December. It's December. Yay, that's why because we're Because of the tested. holiday, we're recording this a bit ahead of time. Oh, that's right, that's right. But for uh. them, it's December. Yes, good, good. That's why we have Christmas things up, because we. I would definitely not allow that uh, before Thanksgiving. I would have allowed it after My Halloween. My Fred was like, after Halloween, can I put it up yet? No, let's wait a little while. <laughs> we got to get a turkey in the oven
3: first. Um, so today we're going to be talking about a question that often comes up in games. And uh, it's, it's one that I think actually affects games quite a bit. We've talked
2: about it. Usually when we do deck text, we will point out this kind of thing.
3: Yeah, but we've never actually gone super in-depth with it. But during the games, you've been in this situation before. You play a tutor, you're looking through your deck, and then you're looking at the rest of the table, and then you're looking at your hand, and then back at your deck. And the question often comes up, what card do I get? What is the best card at this moment? But oftentimes, you I would say like seven to eight times out of 10, I end up getting sometimes the exact same card.
2: Right. There's a card that you would designate as your quote-unquote best card in your deck obviously like i need to answer this threat you go get the answer i need a board wipe you go get that but there's a lot of times where it's like i have a tutor it's mana efficient to play it but there's nothing i need to answer right now in those cases you generally want to go get the best card in your deck yep so you have to know what the best card in your deck
3: is yep and how to gauge that and so today we're going to be breaking that down uh but before we get into it if you would like to buy the best card in your deck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you want to have uh, best
3: cards in your deck. Like, yes, you yeah, want to... yeah, multiple actually. Yeah, yeah. But you
2: also, you, you want to, like the best card in your deck, you want to own that card.
3: Yep. And so the best way to do that is by going to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Make sure you type in the full affiliate link. And once you're there, it's the exact same site. But now every single time you make a purchase of any magic products, singles, sealed product, you're directly
2: supporting our show. And we can't thank you enough. Yeah, it doesn't change anything else for you. You just get the same magic cards you were going to get at the same price, but you just simultaneously help us with all of our content. We really do appreciate everybody that does that. Another one of our sponsors, that you also support all of our content by supporting them, is Ultra Pro. The best card in your deck, I guarantee, is gonna be something that you're gonna to wanna to have in a very high quality sleeve, which yep. means you need the entire deck probably in that sleeve, because it would be weird. Sleeve, yeah, It'd be, be weird if it was a different sleeve
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the best card in your deck? Uh, it's the one mismatched
2: sleeve in I there. can see it from something fell down back yeah, there. Yeah. I can <laughs> see it. Uh, so Ultra Pro really is gonna have the best stuff to protect all of your magic stuff. So your cards, they're gonna have the best dice, they're gonna have awesome play mats. Eclipse sleeves really are the creme de la creme yeah. of sleeves, and, and if you have good cards and good decks, you really do want to put them in Eclipse sleeves. Ultra Pro, always supporting our content. Can't thank them enough. Yeah. Uh, and the final way to support our stuff is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. You can interact with Jimmy and I on our Discord. If you're at the right tier, you get to see game nights early, and we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Adam, Adam Good. good. Adam, you rock. Also, it was cool to have a name that... I looked at it and I paused because I was like, I will have no trouble pronouncing yeah, that. <laughs> this
3: well,
2: what if it was like Gaud or something? Uh-oh. Guarantee we messed it up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said that, yeah. I was like, yes, it's actually uh,
3: Finnish. Yeah, you guys messed it up. <laughs> okay, let's get right into it. The best card in your deck. So before we actually talk about... Uh, we're going to separate this episode into two chunks. First, we're going to talk about how to determine the best card in your deck, ways and metrics to look at it. And then we're actually going to go through some of the decks that we played on game nights, on extra turns and and identify what we believe is the best card in the deck and talk about why we got to that reasoning and also uh, it, a lot of times those cards actually ended up appearing in the show that we, we played them in so it's also a good way for you to go and check that out and see exactly our words in action
2: i, I after we did that exercise too and we'll get to that Obviously later, but it's interesting to see that there are similar cards or the same cards popping up. Like, yeah, if, if a card's in a deck and it's the best card in a deck, it's maybe the best card in different M- decks too. decks, because yeah. it's a very good card.
3: Yep, and because they all share a lot of similarities. And so let's talk about some of the aspects of what makes a good card in your deck. So the first one that we talk about all the time in the show is just straight up synergy. So a synergistic card means that it's a card that works in conjunction well with other cards, abilities, spells, themes, uh, tribes that your deck is going for, and a card with good. Synergy. If you play it, and let's say you took a random card from your deck um, that wasn't a land, or maybe could, even could be a land, you have a high percentage of chance of that card working well with that card because your deck is synergistic with each other. So it's usually a flexible card. It works in multiple situations. It's very adaptable, and usually it has a very good chance that it's going to impact the board in some way that benefits
2: you. Yeah, it's it's usually like high value. I like what you said, flexible. Like we said, best card in your deck is often the card where, when nothing else, the default setting to go get is that card because it just works well with everything you're trying to do from then on out yeah if your commander
3: is i'd say most decks are now built around their commanders um if your commander is going towards a theme and you have just your commander in this card it's like adding nos or an extra like boost of power to your deck because usually your commander is pointing you in the direction you're going and the best card in your deck is going to open
2: up the rest of the possibilities and i think you know a lot of people when you say what's the best card in the deck it's easy to sort of say expropriate yeah or the most or like mana crypt you know, torment of hail fire it's not usually actually the card that's going to win you the game at the end it's usually a card that's going to accrue you value or get you to the point where you can win
3: yeah or like secure the win in, yeah. in the case of certain decks so let's talk about some basic cards that are overall very synergistic and people could consider the best cards in their deck so in in, in enter the battlefield decks, yep. where you have a yarok or a rune of the hidden realm like those uh, cards by themselves brago Brago, yeah, are the best card in the deck because they're your commander usually, right. but we're talking about the cards outside of that. So cards like Panharmonicon or anything that can, for instance, like a Deadeye Navigator is going to be the card that like opens up the door and all of a sudden it went from, oh, you're scary to,
2: oh, no, we have right. to do something about this. Or, uh, oh, we're, yeah, we're yeah, definitely going to lose now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Panharmonicon is a great one in those. In a, like a plus one, plus one counters synergy deck, uh, like a Traxa. Right. Um, or Ramos or... Animar, you might go get Hardened Scales if it's early in the game or maybe right. something like Doubling Season, right? Those might be the best cards in your deck in those cases because it's like those cards... And, and Panharmonicon's interesting too, right? Where that doesn't actually do the thing. Right. It doesn't trigger your commander, but it makes everything else the deck's doing at warp speed from then on.
3: Yeah, normally you would say, oh, a card that does nothing by itself, how can that be the best card in your deck? But when that card single makes 70% of your uh, deck twice as good yeah then it's worth it to say that yeah you need one piece to make the other piece really function usually you'd be like if the card doesn't do anything on its own it's hard to consider it a great best card but panharmonicon you're right it's just one of those like yep it does the thing um Atrax is also a really good example because of the proliferate so it makes it really flexible it, you could also say Attrax is the best card in the five color planeswalker deck at the right. same time so like it has a lot of although i would say doubling season is usually your go-to in terms of that. And Doubling Season is actually really similar to Panharmonicon
2: in the same way. But Doubling Season would maybe be the best card in the Atraxa deck, whereas Atraxa would be one of the best cards maybe in a five-color Planeswalker Planeswalker deck. deck. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um,
3: If you have a life gain deck, then a card like Crick, Son of Yogmoth, is just going to be very good. Or any of the commanders or legendary creatures like Karlov or Ailey, Ailey Eternal Pilgrim, that are able to use the life gain that you're using and like in a very destructive and powerful way. So... uh, It's tough because life gain synergies, I would say, like it's hard to be like, oh, this card is very synergistic with life gain because just having more life means you have more time to do stuff, more flexibility, and there are not that many cards that abuse having a high life total.
2: Yeah, but in life gain decks, maybe like Well of Lost Dreams might be one of your best cards because a lot of times the best card in your deck is an enabler for your strategy in a life gain deck it might be like you've got a lot of time but you need other resources like cards Well, of lost dreams turns life into cards yeah or you can dome someone with the death star and snacking. aetherflex reservoir yeah. <laughs> might be one of the best cards although that, that's probably more of a finisher but yeah something that uses your resources really well. And in Yarok decks, it's using the resource of enter the battlefield effects. But in life game, yeah. I could see something like Well of Lost Dreams being the best card in certain life game decks. It's interesting too, because I would say that Etherflux Reservoir is almost
3: better in a deck that is a storm deck. Or one that wants to play a lot of spells because you get the most value out of the actual card. As If, uh, if you're doing it in a life gain deck, then you're just looking at the part that says dome someone. And right, you're them. not casting five spells and then do a, gain yeah. life off of it. We'll gain you life. a little life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, tribal synergies, any creature that's a lord, so it says all zombies get plus one, plus one. Those are often the better cards in the deck because they affect, again, a huge swath of your deck. Uh, and then you have a lot of the cards they've reprinted uh, printed recently, like Herald Torn, Vanquisher's Banner, that all give you card advantage and care about the tribe. And a card like Arcane Adaptation that makes your tribe work, even with the creatures that aren't in your deck, if you're trying to go for like a, a less fully focused tribal deck.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. And I've seen tribal decks where the best card in the deck is Conspiracy. Right. Which turns all of your creatures into a certain tribe that you choose. Arcane Adaptation is similar. Um, Yeah, because maybe you didn't build your deck to have 100%
3: tribal creatures, but you need that card because it really makes the rest of your strategy work out.
2: Yeah, if you already have all elves or something, you don't need Conspiracy or Arcane Adaptation, and now the best card might be Vanquisher's Banner or something similar. That's probably too high mana cost, but something that says all your X tribe draws your card or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And finally, uh,
3: land synergies is also something that I think gets overlooked a lot just because lands are so powerful. We've talked about how mass land destruction doesn't really happen uh, in common games of EDH, so your lands are more protected than your artifact ramp. So cards like Golos, Tyler's Pilgrim, obviously... Are incredibly powerful for land decks same with the lord Windgrace grace and get rock monsters and in those cases cards like glacial chasm might be the best card in your deck or something crucible that, of
2: worlds, I could crucible of worlds being, yeah yeah the best card in your deck any of those effects just that I a lie, fetch
3: really... land might be the best card in your <laughs> <deck>. <laughs> yeah that's true um uh life from the loam so all of these cards you can tell like they are highly synergistic with the deck and because of that they're able to become quote unquote the best card um, and I'd say the overall, overall power level of synergistic cards goes up with the more cards in your deck that can work with it, just cause you have a higher chance of when you play it and tr- you will draw into something that does good stuff with it. Um, and there are oftentimes a lot of cards, like we talked about the expropriates and all that stuff, but just by themselves will be good no matter what. So a crick deck, a crick in a mono black deck, you could put it in pretty much any heavy black deck and it, it will be very good. And you can put Golos as the
2: commander of almost any five color deck and be happy with it. I got to stop us really quick here because I learned that it's Kirik. It's Kirik? Yeah. But, but there's no I. There's a apostrophe. Kirik. Yeah. So there you go. I learned that from some wizards people. After having said it, some actual wizards. Some actual wizards. Although Gosh. they've been incorrect before, but sure. I, I get their argument. It has an apostrophe. Anyway. Yeah, I like Kirik. Yeah. Kirk's it's better than crick anyway of yeah I'm, I'm still calling it gave though even though they want to call it gave i like gave way better yeah.
3: what was the other one the uh the one mana make make a bunch of dudes the elf token guy green white so reese. Yeah.
2: reese yeah we call it risk but it is reese yeah sure sure <laughs> i mean i sure enough people said it that i'm like yep that must be how it is all right i like Carrot. For- i can live with Carrot. yeah kirk okay. sounds like a character of the dragon ball z now <laughs> we're on the same page now all right let's talk about power level yeah
3: so a card's inherent power level can also just make it or determine it to be close to the best card in your deck or maybe the best card in your deck even if it's not inherently synergistic with the rest of your deck so we mentioned this a bit briefly if your deck just has no synergies and is all just straight good stuff then a card like this might be the best card in your deck for instance and they're often like eight nine mana as well
2: i I mean i find it hard to make like a seven plus mana card to designate it as the best card in the deck Mm -hmm. because you just can't go get it on turn three right so how can that be the best card? It's situational. Yeah. I would count the best card in your deck something that's like five mana or less most of the time because early turns, that late game stuff, just Torment of Hellfire is just not useful until later. Yeah, and, and like It's the most powerful that, card in your deck, but right. is, it the, is it the best card?
3: Yeah, and the card you can play on turn four or five is going to last you through turn 11, whereas a card you play on turn nine that may not win you the game is only going to last you like an extra, you know, like you have a lot more use out of a card that lasts a lot longer. Right. Um, Harold's Horn, I think, was a really good example of this, when we had the Kumena deck that I played, Mm -hmm. just because it it came out early and just kept accruing value over and over again. Yeah, it was
2: just so good turn after turn, and like you're a little ahead, then you're more ahead, then you're a lot ahead, and it's all because of this one card just sticking, sticking around. Big mana power level cards,
3: one of the ways that they can become the best card in your deck sometimes is if you are trying to catch up Right, if you're behind severely, if you're a control deck, and it's really important for you to get ahead of your opponents, or if it takes a large amount of action from your opponents to restore the board parity, uh, it's not necessarily a win-win card, but like it'll get you so close that everyone else spending their resources is going to make uh, be a good case for you to to take down the game past that. So there, oh, back on the table. <laughs> There's some immediate win cards that we always talk about and again these are not necessarily the most the best card but they will be the most powerful so expropriate insurrection time stretch omniscience you'll We're notice that ex- yeah you'll notice that expropriate and time stretch even though you get the extra turns what you really need from expropriate is the permanence you steal and what you really need with time stretch is something to do in the extra turns
2: but almost always by the time you have 10 mana available if you get two extra turns you're gonna win because yeah your mana advantage over the table is now 20 mana at the minimum yeah
3: um, if you're in a more controlly deck and you are trying to set the pace of the table and decide what happens, then you have a lot of cards that I, that I call like the very hard to recover from cards. So a, a very well-timed Cyclonic Rift, obviously. I mean, I think a lot of people could say, yes, Cyclonic Rift is the best card in my deck, but that would also signify to me that maybe your deck isn't built with maximum synergies, yeah. Or I don't know that areas. I don't know that
2: it is like it's certainly the best in some scenarios. But again, if you look around and the board's pretty much even, like you're not behind. You don't right. want cyclonic rift there. You don't want to rift your. You, you know, you don't want to rift until you're like setting them back. If it's early in the game, especially like the time when oh, you're going to play sucks early. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to on the same turn, you're going to play panharmonicon is usually not a turn where you would want to play cyclonic rift. You mm-hmm. know, because if you're free to play panharmonicon, then you're you know, you're in the developing part of the game. So I think that psychrift is great where it's great, but it's not great always. Although, I guess you can say the same for Panarmonicon. Right. You know. You need a little bit of setup. And you don't want to draw it on turn 14 necessarily. It might be too late for the value to be accrued. But in it's, general, there's a lot more turns prior to turn 10 than there are after turn 10. So Yeah. 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 The majority of the games, what was the statistics say that it ended around? For you? Well, for us... Uh, I we we couldn't do turns when we did our stats but for game nights it's around turn 12 yeah. is average yeah Um Cards like Armageddon 2, again, very, very powerful,
3: but it would much better, for instance, if you were in a control shell, or if you were in like a Joyra deck that you have, mm-hmm. where Armageddon is potentially the best card in your deck because it's hard to debate between Joyra and the ten monsters you could put out. But clearly, Armageddon is the thing that is the thing that will get you to the victory. We know it can't go into Joyra everybody, but there, yeah, that the, kind of, that effect, kind of sorry. effect, yeah, yeah. Um, you could just play any of the red versions, yeah, of exactly. Armageddon and, instead. And
2: Joyra does. That's the original Joyra too, not the new one. Yeah,
3: yeah, which is um, awesome for a different reason. The Praetors have. Have a similar effect, hard to recover from. Playing a Vorinclex and having no one be able to answer it means that everyone is set behind super hard. Again, this may not be the best card, but it might be the most powerful. And there are occasions, and I think this can change a little bit too. It's your best card may not always be the best card in the deck, but it's entirely dependent on the table. But for the most part, I would say like consistently the best card in your deck will always be the best card in your deck.
2: Right. These could be the best card in certain scenarios. I yeah. doubt vorenklex is the best card in your entire deck in most scenarios. But yeah. sometimes, certainly it is. Yeah. Jenga um, uh, Taxis is another mean one, whereas if it doesn't get answered, nobody has any hands. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, <laughs>
3: and of course, the cards that just get you extreme value and as the resulting cases are often banned. So a long time ago, we would all have said the Prophet of
2: crucifix is the best card in my deck. Yeah, for sure. Um, or a Paradox but, Engine. Yep. These And these fit the Mold of panharmonicon. Yeah. Which I think is often that type of card is often the best card in your deck because it's going to be good in most scenarios. Now, when you're under extreme pressure, maybe not, although Paradox Engine, a little different. It, <laughs> it can often just win you the game on the spot, but it was also a good value card. Um, the Another one that fits in this category, and I think we'll see... That this bears out later when we talk about our own deck. Seaborn Muse is uh, the type of card that's just sort yeah. of, yeah. If you don't have anything else that you specifically need to get, Seaborn Muse is just always going to be good. Yeah, it's kind of when you're flipping through your deck, it's always one that you bring to the front. Yeah, and like this is a good
3: option. Um, it's and, never going to just do nothing. Almost, you know, yeah. if you built your deck and it's in there. It's it's the only sort of like real relic of the Untap all your things era that's still around, and we're we're happy for it. We're glad for it. Okay, another way to check uh, if your deck, uh, what, the power level of a card in your deck is the quadrant theory. And we've talked about this a lot and actually Limited Resources went back and revisited this recently and went a little deeper in on the quadrants and how applicable they are at different parts of the game. So this was originally coined by Brian Wong from Limited Resources probably like seven years ago now. It was before we started our podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it was made, It was when we started listening to Limited Resources, Brian was still the, the co-host before LSV uh, entered into the equation brian was great yeah I mean, was lsb awesome. is
2: great too obviously
3: <laughs> uh and LSV was one that wrote the newest article addressing what brian had put on the table um and
2: this was made with limited in mind so but, but it ma- works for our format i think you just have to weigh the different yeah. quadrants uh differently so there's basically four quadrants um or game states i guess that mm-hmm. brian hypothesized And they are
3: developing, so this is the first few turns of the game. In EDH, we might give
2: it an extra turn, maybe, because it takes a little longer for EDH games to get off the ground sometimes. Depending on the power level of your group in your deck, it could be somewhere around turn four, maybe five, maybe lower if you're closer to CEDH. If you're playing, like,
3: cube power level, like Brandon Sanderson's cube, everyone was a turn four, really, like, get going kind of deck. Yeah, I would say even turn five, we were still developing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, parody is when uh, everything on the board is relatively even, so you don't really have a good attack. They don't have a good attack. You sort of just sort of sit there and look at each other as stalemate. Uh, it even could
2: be somebody has like a good attack, but it's like a two-two. Yeah, you know, it's mostly even out there. You couldn't if somebody came to the table and said who's winning, you wouldn't have a, very, a super clear answer.
3: Yeah, parody actually happens quite a lot in EDH yeah. because it's not just you attacking one person that can block, but there are other two other players that could potentially crack in at you. So then everyone usually is at a stalemate. In yeah, the
2: Cases it could easily be like Jimmy's a little ahead, but if he actually did anything, then everybody else could hit him, so he gets yeah, so he's still behind. kind of at parity just because his he's not ahead enough for it to matter,
3: yeah. And then there is ahead, so you are ahead of the table, you just psych rifted, you just did whatever it was a board wipe that benefited you, a you time wipe, or something. yeah. He has played Seaborn Muse, <laughs> uh,
2: and the final category is behind. Well, I want to stop on ahead really quick here because in 1v1 games, and this is where we differ a little from limited resources, uh-huh. you'd be generally ahead the same amount that you're behind, you know, oh, in general. Right. But in EDH, the I'm ahead category or quadrant is way less often. It's not going to happen, you know, as much as you're behind just because the raw amount of players. Yeah. Four so, people scrambling for the top of the hill. So no more than one fourth of the time, you know on average, are you going to be ahead at any given point in the game? Yeah, and if you are ahead, then you have three other players that,
3: if they work together, are taking you down to take you to the last quadrant, which is behind. So when you're losing, basically, your board isn't as good as everyone else's.
2: Or it's just not as good as the top person's, and I think you're in this position the most. Yeah. Where, like, somebody's ahead, and it's not you. It yeah. doesn't mean you're, it's debilitating or you can't win from that position, but you're not currently in the lead. Yeah,
3: it doesn't make you fourth place necessarily. Right. Everyone's kind of scrambling to be second slash third for the most part. Um, so the way that we use these quadrants to evaluate cards is in developing in the first turns of the game is how good is the card when we're doing our initial plays. So Death
2: Right Shaman is an incredible way to be very good early in the game. Not so great when you're ahead. Yeah. And not that great, really, when you're behind. It doesn't solve the I'm behind
3: problem, right? But so good in developing. I would say even really good in parody as well. So two out of the four quadrants, this one drop can satisfy. So... When we we're going to look at like what's the best card in your deck? Well, like okay, we can put Deathrite Shaman on the list because it's really good in two out of four categories, but it's lacking some others. So then you'll look towards the other ones like Parody, How good is a card when you know everyone's balanced out? Um, and Parody isn't just a board stall. Like if you could, if you had two one ones and they had a two two, then you're still at Parody, but you have more creatures than them. So then you would look at a card like can it break board Parody? Is it something like a time wipe, where you get a creature back and everything else gets erased? You know, so then wow, how that's great. Or it's is it like. Like a band of progress where you may not have a bunch of artifacts and enchantments but everyone else does so like that card breaks board parity but it's very bad at developing and isn't so great when you're ahead but it's really good when you're behind
2: other cards that are really good in parity are like value accruement cards so ristic study right. is really good in developing really good in parity not great when you're behind uh not necessarily great when you're ahead <laughs> yeah depend on here the here. kind of behind you are if you're behind a little bit and you're gonna have some time ristic study might help you get back in it so it's not horrible right uh ahead it's like oh i need to be closing the game and that's when you want your big heavy hitters but yeah but yeah, at parody a lot of times i like panharmonicon's great at parody right mm-hmm. you're at parody i'll play panharmonicon we're not gonna be at parody for very long yeah you're it's gonna allow you to leapfrog in front of other people yeah. and
3: actually when it comes to the last two categories uh brian lsv marshall everyone else usually considers being ahead as the least important quadrant and being behind as the most important quadrant because being ahead is great, especially when you're you know, about to win, but in EDH, it's probably the most dangerous position to be in, because everyone's got their daggers pointed at
2: you. Yeah, so I actually think that it's this is where we differ a lot from how they think of the quadrants, because uh-huh. win more is a thing that is talked about a lot in Standard, Modern, all the 1v1 things, because you don't need cards that help you win more right. that much. You're already winning, you're doing the thing. However, in EDH, being ahead in the game is actually a dangerous position to be in, and A smart way to play is to never try and get there, is to be in the second place Mm -hmm. position, to hide under the radar, let somebody else take all the heat, and then you pop in at the end after they've all been in a little bit of a scrum or a brush-up and they're all bruised up and you finish everybody off. And so I think we actually want cards that are good when you're ahead a little bit more than the other formats. However, we still have to worry a little bit about when more... uh, mentality you don't want too much of that
3: yeah i would say the card that gets like a panharmonicon again is a great example because the card is so good at pretty much every of the other spots and then when it gets you to start winning it's not like it just wins you a little bit it wins you a ton without sacrificing
2: a lot of space in your deck to do so think if you're ahead in a deck that has panharmonicon a yarok deck a brago deck a rune deck is panharmonicon still good Yes, absolutely because yeah. you're ahead, right? So you that means your machine is running, you're blinking stuff. Yeah. Now I'm doubling everything I blink. But if you're behind or at parity, it could still be awesome because now I'm doubling everything that I blink. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so when you're ahead, it does a good thing where it really catapults you to the massive forefront. And like Josh said, like it's the perfect time to do it is right when that top player is about to fall off their throne and you decide to race to it. The only problem is that when every other player has that in mind, then everyone's going to try and do it at the same time. And that's when a card like Pine really shines because you're doing it twice as much, you know, theoretically as everyone else because you're doubling those effects. Um, and of course, being behind I think is the most important category because you don't want to fall too far behind unless you get into pity zone and then people just sort of ignore you but you also don't want to be you know constantly behind and not able to catch
2: up so cards that break you out of behind into parity or better are very powerful in addition because what we just said was that that's the position you're most likely to find yourself in most of the game right so just by virtue of the fact that you're going to be behind in the game, in most games, at some point, means that cards that are good there are going to be useful, because you will find yourself there. You're not always... Yeah. Not every game of Commander are you ever going to be ahead. A lot of games, you're just behind and you don't win that game, and you're yeah. never ahead in that game at all. And some games, there won't be parody at all, but you know a, a lot will. But almost every game, at some point, you'll be behind yeah. there are of course rare games where you're ahead and you're yeah, ahead throughout ahead the whole time but yeah. that's pretty rare and i would say those are the games on those if i'm that person that's ahead the whole
3: time i'm like when is this gonna end because i'm not used to this feeling <laughs> yeah
2: definitely yeah. all three of you are gonna knock me off my perch right yeah especially
3: yeah. when the decks are again like equal power level and that's sort of this the the basis of all of this i would actually add one more category to the quadrant theory to make it the Penta theory. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, which is how much does
2: a card affect players' opinion of you? Mm. So it's the quadrants. I think are probably still the same, but it's this is like another one on top. Like, in our in our format, maybe. Whether you're ahead or whether you're behind is not just a situation of who actually is ahead or behind, mm-hmm. but who the table thinks is ahead or behind.
3: Yeah. And who's curried the most
2: favor as right. well. Because
3: if you play a stasis, for example, no one's, you may be the most ahead and that maybe the best card in your deck, but no one's going to like you and everyone's going to immediately gun for you. Actually, if you play stasis and you're behind, they're still going to
2: gun for yeah. you, right? So like that actually affects the the level of a card as well. We talked, DJ and I talked a couple episodes ago or maybe last episode about... Um, <laughs> Sometime in November, right? Yeah, sometime in November, (laughs) about uh, aggro decks and how often people overestimate... They're overly scared of them um, in contrast to how strong or well the deck is actually doing because it looks scary. Just hit somebody for seven. But when you break it down, it's like, yeah, but this guy just drew seven cards, and she just put out a Harmonicon, but yeah. I'm still scared of the aggro deck that might hit me for 10 with creature damage. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the only time that it's, you really have to pay attention is when the person has
3: something like a forger out. Right. Like, the Firesaw and Sunspeaker deck, you were running with two, three cards the whole game, right. but because of that single artifact, it was way scarier, and people had a real reason to be scared of you. Otherwise, it'd be like, no, look at his hand, look at his board, look at how much mana he has to tap just to cast his commander. It's, but not, you've
2: done scary stuff and it looks scary, so you are scary, which isn't always wrong. Yeah. I don't think the, yeah, Fire Song and is not really an aggro deck. but
3: um, And it's just a, it, it's, it's a, more of a value deck. It's an ether Flux Reservoir deck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, the Quadrant Theory is going to shift a little bit depending on your deck's goals, like we were just talking about with aggro. Uh, I think ag- aggressive strategies are really going de- like, to like developing and ahead. Uh, in terms of the quadrants they yep. really want to focus on and then control de- decks like some control decks don't even really care about synergies they just care about the overall power level of their stasis or how good their counterspells are Right. like a counterspell isn't isn't necessarily like you know synergistic with your deck it's just is do you have a force of will because it's better than this Right. a mana drain's is better than that so like that's the things that stasis decks care about more I think um, one last question before we jump to the uh, analyzing our decks and this is one that I actually don't know the answer to so if the best card in your deck is expropriator, panharmonic or whatever it is, and you can always and you also have a demonic tutor in your deck. Does that make the tutor the best card in your deck, or the card that you're getting with
2: it? Well, I think tutors are the best card in your deck, if especially specifically demonic tutor. Yeah, I mean you can always say yeah, vampiric tutor, demonic tutor, because they can get any card are the best card in your deck. We always say how they're second copies of cards. Thing is. The tutor is the best card in your deck. It's the best answer in your deck. The best second best card in your deck. It's the best wrath in your deck. It is... And that's why tutors are so good. And when we talked about how to determine your power level, one of the things we we mentioned was how many tutors are in your deck is one of the big indicators of how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. If you have five plus tutors, your deck is going to be very, very strong because all of your best cards you have multiple copies of and the ability to get it at the time you need it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think it would be easy to say, yeah, a tutor is the best card in my deck. But the question we're asking here is, when you're tutoring, you need to know the best card in your deck a lot of times because, for one, it saves time if you know what that <laughs> is. But two, like, you, you want to be able to go get the thing that's going to help you the most. And if yeah. it's Pan and you just know that, you can at least, like, is there anything specific I need to answer? No. Then my default is get this card because I just know it's the best card in my deck. Yeah
3: unless your best card in your deck also happens to be the one that is the best answer in your deck and you always need that answer. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a quick mineral break to hear from our sponsor, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about our own decks and what we consider to be the best cards in them.
0: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly.
1: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie dot com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: All right. We're back. We're talking about the best card in your deck and why. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. Um, so. We've talked about how we can value cards in a deck based on the circumstance. So let's take a look at our own decks from Game Nights and Extra Turns and see if we can come up with a consensus on what we consider to be the best card in each of those. So the first one we're going to start with is my Rune deck. I played Rune. It, Yeah, I've played it on Extra Turns, Episode mm-hmm. 2, and on Game Nights, Episode 24. We've
3: talked about this for a long time. This was the second or third episode of the podcast. I think we talked about your Rune deck
2: as well. So this is interesting. So Rune, if you don't know, you tap Rune and you blink something. It comes, It goes into Exile and then comes back under its uh, owner's control at the next end step. Mm -hmm. So you can blink your opponent's things too, which is sometimes useful, but that's not usually what you're doing. You're usually blinking your own stuff for value. So like, Drifter is a classic one Yep. because you can evoke it, and in response to the mold drif- or the evoke, evoke trigger before you have to sac it, you blink it out, comes back in on your end you just drew four cards for five mana. Uh, rune does cost two mana, and you have to tap it to do it. So interestingly, I don't think Panharmonicon is actually the best card in the rune mm, deck. Interesting. Uh, it's a very good card, and I considered it when we were asking this question, but I think Seedborn Muse is the best card in the rune deck.
3: I would have to agree because of the commander. Yes. Your commander needs to untap and tap to use its ability, And while Panharmonicon makes every single card that your commander is doing this to really powerful, Seaborn Muse lets you activate it multiple times.
2: Now, if you're Brago deck or a Yarrick deck, which are also both blink decks or enter the battlefield Mm -hmm. effect decks, Seaborn Muse is still fine, although you can't play it in Brago, Uh, but not the best card, I don't think, in either of those decks because neither of those commanders has to tap to do anything. Whereas Rune needs mana and has to tap. So being able to use Rune on everybody's turn, including your own, means I now get four blink effects and that's better than, let's say, the two Panharmonicon gives you. Yeah, that's very effective thanks to Seaborn Muse. It's the same reason that Prophet Kruvix
3: is so good. We were all saying you're taking three turns or four turns instead of just one. So, yeah, it's a good good instance there to, to understand why a card like Seaborn Muse is voted over a card like Panharmonicon. Uh,
2: the next deck we're going to talk about is your... Oh, yeah, you want to? Uh, yeah, I just would say, too, another thing that was in the running would be Deadeye Navigator, which you mentioned oh, right, earlier, right. which is... Uh, a cheaper way and an easier way to do what rune does and it's also an instant speed flicker as well yeah and i would right put back. it more in the category of like an expropriate as far as like that's more of a game winning card but it's not always the best card to get sort of in the early and mid game yeah it's like a nine mana to play and activate once right uh, yeah eight i think but yeah and you always want to have mana up to activate it and you know and rune to protect it as well or it to protect it itself yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and that's the great thing about the rune seedborne muse thing is rune can protect your Seedborn muse too mm-hmm. because they board wipe even and you blink out your seaboard muse and yeah rune dies but you get to keep the powerful card yeah you can always recast your commander of course yeah. um okay next deck is a brand
3: new one that you just brewed up uh we haven't actually played it on the show yet people have requested but it's your grevin
2: deck yep uh, we talked about it on the 286th episode of the show i actually did play it too at the um command fest seattle we did a charity cool. stream so if you go to channel fireball oh, nice. stream you can probably see it in action and it some fireworks. It didn't win the game, but it, it, it did its thing. Yeah. Um, did you get to play this card in it? The, what I didn't. The if I card? had drawn this card and been able to get it, I would have won for sure. Ah, uh, good now, sign it's the best card in your deck then. Yeah, this card, this was difficult for Grevin to figure out what the best card is. There was a lot of things that I would say are in contention, but uh, I ended up with Chandra's Ignition which is sort of a game ending card, but mm-hmm. it does so much that it's also just like a good board wipe. This one, you choose one of your creatures and it deals damage equal to its power to all opponents yeah. and creatures, uh, besides itself. So with Grevin, you're usually making it huge, paying a bunch of life, doing a bunch of damage to yourself, and then swinging in for a lot. This can clear out blockers, can kill opponents, often kills everybody out of nowhere, uh, and also is just a good board wipe, mm-hmm. even if you're just baseline, played on Grevin, five to everything. Yeah. Yeah. But if you happen to get Grevin to like 20. Which is not whatever. that
3: hard. Yeah. And the nice thing about Chandra's Ignition, and it's also, by the way, the best card in my Neheb deck, is because it deals damage to everyone but you. It's a very one-sided board wipe for red, which seems strange because usually red's like, it. you know, no matter to what, it's going to hit yeah. everything. Yeah. So Chandra's Ignition definitely has a very special place
2: in my heart as a result of that. And it just can win the game. Yeah, other cards that I might have considered were something like Sword of Feast and Famine, which is just really good value for right. the Grevin deck. Wall of Blood, which is just like, or Necropotence. Necropotence is probably the second best card in the deck, which draws you a bunch of cards, also can insta-kill somebody, because mm-hmm. you can be like, play Grevin comes back to your turn, doesn't look that scary. They're like, I can take one hit from that thing. Play Necropotence. 16 cards into exile, he's a 21 power, kill you. yeah Then wow. I drew 16 cards. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I would say either of those are pretty much up there. Chandra's Ignition like hits every player. Grevin, being an aggro deck, would might might want that more than, than being like that one person out at one time, right?
2: Yeah, and also, Grevin doesn't have a ton of trouble drawing cards because you just play a 3-mana 8-8 and sack mm-hmm. it to Grevin, so the card draw is important and you still want it, but it's not as hard to come by as the board wipe slash finisher. Yeah. Okay,
3: next deck is my Marchesa deck. And I don't think I've actually... We've seen this on camera yet. Have you not played it on the show? I think we. I may have recently, but that episode may Has not... aired yeah, yet. Yeah, and
2: I'm not sure. Oh, I think I played my Grevin deck in that episode yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, T's upon T's upon T's. <laughs> to a show near you. Um. So, this was actually really hard for me to do too because this is a very value-based mid-range deck and I actually have, I'm still trying to decide between these two, but I believe Glenelendra Archmage is the best card in the Marchesa deck. Oh yeah, it's so good. It, because Marchesa, so Marchesa gives our creatures dethrone. If they attack someone with the highest uh, life total. you get a plus one, plus one counter on that creature and anytime a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it dies, it goes to your graveyard and then comes back at the beginning of the next uh, end step. So, in the case of it already is coming back because it persists and it comes in with a minus one, minus one counter. And if you can get another plus one, plus one counter on it, it basically resets the creature. So it almost is completely unremovable by traditional means that isn't exiling it. Um, and even is, then, it can probably counter the thing that's exiled again. Exactly. If not, you have sack outlets on board, and it's really, really easy because the deck is all about losing your own life total to get back up to that amount. So Glenolendra, in general, just an extremely good card, but made even better because the commander superpowers it to this unkillable thing that keeps coming back and stealing and, or and countering your spells.
2: Yeah, and that deck is often about putting 1-1 one, one counters of stuff in other means, too. So yeah. you have the means, not only through attacking with Dethrone, to put that counter on Glendolendra, and keep it going forever yeah which is why it's often a lock yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i played against that game a lot but it's a it it can be a good mid-game play but it can also be like i play this cement my board position i have six counters in the bank now there's no way you guys are getting through that yeah um the only other consideration would be a card that puts counters on stuff and it's the only one
3: that really does it in the colors which is unspeakable symbol uh new k3 Life. life which is also good for the deck but there have been a lot of times where the three life is too much Right, you can't do that seven times. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of similar to like Treasonous Ogre. It gives you a ton of mana, but at the cost of a lot of
2: life. Interesting. All right, the next deck we're going to talk about is my Golos Golos deck, which I Golos played in Golos. number 28 of Game Nights, the one with Yara, Kamaz, mm-hmm. and uh, MTG Nerd Girl. This one was pretty easy, I think. It's Scroll Rack. Um, Golos is going to cast cards for free off the top of your deck. There are... I, I went a little light on the... Um, insanity cards. I went a little light on the extra turns cards but that's the best way and most powerful way to build Golos and I've definitely seen that out in the wild quite a bit. Yeah because you just keep going and going and going. Yeah and what you can do with Golos is just stack the top of the deck with an extra turn spell every time you activate it and then because you already have the mana to activate it you do that again on the next turn so any cards you draw you put back on top of the library Mm -hmm. and you can just basically keep that chain going Um, and it's pretty easy if you have a scroll rock out to just be like, I take an extra turn, I activate Golos on that extra turn, I take another extra turn, I activate yeah. Golos on that, and then I'm also casting the other two spells, which are awesome because I put them there with Skrorak.
3: Yeah, and that's the flexibility of Skrorak, because you get to choose, okay, I want one board Wipe, one this, one that, You yeah. know, and then you get to stack the top of your deck that way. Skrorak, very good card in general, but actually I found that this card, unless, it's one of those cards that I think is Feast or Famine. It's either yeah. amazing in your deck, or it's like, you don't actually need this in your deck, it's
2: making your deck worse. I think early on, and probably we mentioned this in early episodes of the podcast. I think I remember doing it. Oh, I we, definitely did. We considered Scroll Rack to be on the almost the same level as like Sensei's Divining Top, Soul Ring, where you could put it in any deck and it'll make any deck better. But I actually don't think that's true. I think yeah. Scroll Rack, like you said, if your deck doesn't specifically care about the top of its library, then Scroll Rack is mediocre. It's not yeah. as good. Top is way better uh, because it's cheaper and just what it's doing. It's, re- it's pretty easy to get rack locked where you look at your cards you put some cards down there and now I know what my next five turns look like and I don't have a way to change that equation and yeah. so that didn't help me that much
3: yeah scroll rack again much better in the deck that has tons of card draw and a lot of fetch lands or ways to shuffle your deck
2: or it's narset it's yeah. jaleva it's Golos, and it's it cares specifically about what's up there yep Okay, next deck we're going to talk about is my Hogak deck. We played this
3: in Game Nights 27, where I infamously said math is for blockers. (laughs) And promptly lost the game to a bunch of bears. So maybe there are no good cards in this deck. No, the the deck was very good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, good enough to be banned in modern, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, So, Alter of Dementia, I think, is probably the best card in this deck, or Hermit Druid, both because they are able to... well. Okay, you know what? It's Ultra of Dementia. It's 100% Ultra of Dementia. If you're
2: going to activate Hermit Druid and only get one land in your hand and nothing in your graveyard, then it's not Hermit Druid. Actually, you know what? It isn't Hermit Druid because (laughs) that card
3: is a magnet for removal and Ultra of Dementia gets you what you need to do much faster, much better, which is just like turbo milling your deck. And of course... Hogak being able to be cast out of your graveyard, and with Alter being able to mill that many cards, means that you also, you know, as we saw in the Brand Sanderson game, have the potential to mill out other players.
2: Alter of Dementia is one of those cards that I think, if you if you're newer to Commander or Magic or whatever, it's hard to understand, but people have been around for a while understand that. That card needs to go. If it, it sits there, go, yeah. they will win with that card. It looks like how would they do that? That seems really hard. It's not. Like that card's nuts. It's also only two mana to yeah. cast, and the amount that mills is just absolutely insane. It can target anyone. It should have caught, like cost a mana to sack the creature or something. Like yeah. it's almost I'm not saying it's broken and needs to be banned or anything, but it's very powerful in the decks. It's it's kinda like scroll rack though. Yep. If if it's in your deck, it's probably awesome, but you you definitely can't put it in every deck. I mean, you can because it's an artifact. But right. we don't suggest it.
3: <laughs> Not a great idea.
2: Hermagerd, you're right, though. It's one of the scariest cards people can play on turn two because definitely there are wins. Yeah, just like, activate up. win the next turn. So, yep. Uh, the next one is my favorite deck still to this day. It's my Vile Smasher and Thrasios deck. I played it on, wow. Game night's number two. Yeah, and it hasn't changed that much since then. No, I haven't right? updated it much because it's, it's good as is. I might, have, I think I put it in a Wilderness Reclamation. I took out... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to take out some stuff. Um, this was a little bit tough for me, and I waffled between two things. I think the best card in the deck is Seaborn Muse, mm-hmm. similar to Rune, because it works so well with Thrasios, where if you have eight mana, Seaborn Muse, and Thrasios... That's insanity. You're just activating it constantly. twice on everybody's turn yeah. like it's card draw and ramp. So mm-hmm. it's just like you if it makes it back to your turn plus you activate it for Thrasios. if you get you're trying to get lands because as you get lands into play that's more stuff that untaps with Seedborn Muse. So yeah. it's very easy to be like activate it twice, get two lands, go to Jimmy's turn, activate it twice, get two lands. Now when activate I activate three times Now I'm activating three Ooh. times and it just builds on itself. It's like in a StarCraft or one of those R- RTSs where yeah. The first thing you want to do for the very start of the game is just build a lot of drones that are gathering you more resources. That's kind of what that does. The only other card I considered, and it's interesting because I consider it to be a Vile Smasher deck, but both cards are... Oh, that Thrasios base cards. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. Yeah, well, I should actually, before I go on to the next card, say that Seaborn Muse is very good with Vile Smasher in that the deck is built to cast things on other players' turn because Vile Smasher specifically says it targets on the first spell you cast each turn. So there's a lot of instants. So being able to be like, cast something on my turn, cast Dig Through Time on your turn, cast, you know, Curtain's Call on your turn. Eight damage, nine damage, six damage. Yeah, exactly. And Seaboard Muse allows you to just do that. Um, The other card I considered was Training Grounds, though.
3: Yeah, and Training Grounds is interesting because it definitely makes Thrasios much, much better. Just straight broken. Straight broken, yeah. Two man for that, and then you're just doing it constantly. Yeah, Um, I think, yeah, it's interesting. You're right. File Smasher is the way you win the game, but Thrasios, I could also argue, is really the way you win the game. Yeah. Because in so many situations, it's just like, I don't know how to dig myself out of this. Thank goodness I have uh, Training Grounds and Thrasios out because I can activate this six times,
2: draw a bunch of cards, put a bunch of lands out, and just put myself in a stronger position. I don't know how many games I've won where it's basically even, but Thrasios is out. Yeah. And not even with Training Grounds or Seedborn Muse. Just Thrasios. And it's just like, yep, I'm just going to activate it four times and that's going to get two lands and play two cards in my hand. And then my I'm just now ahead. Yeah. Even though it doesn't look like it. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it. <laughs> Which is, by the way, one of the best markers of a good
3: card is it's, it's innocuous. Yeah. You don't realize the power. Same with Ultra of Dimension in a lot of cases. Yep. Um, I would also argue that there is some value to Training Grounds being an enchantment and harder to yes, remove than Seaborne
2: Muse. So in some situations, if you're playing against a bunch of like red decks. and <laughs> Yeah, they just oh, can't God. touch it. It's also one mana. Yeah. And that's a big thing too. So like if I was going to Vampiric Tutor on turn one, very good chance i'm gonna go get training grounds or yeah. death shaman those are the two i would think about
3: yeah all right next deck is one of my favorites i played on the show it's animar morph it's uh, a Sweet deck. designed by vinny originally uh this was on game nights number 16 i I'd be with uh, with kenji and gabby yep um and this deck is all about using animar to play morphs because animar if he has three plus one plus one counters on it your morphs are free and you're just building your animar up you're playing a ton of creatures and no one knows what you're doing so i, I thought a bit about this as well and i came up with two answers because i couldn't decide between
2: the I two i like the first one a lot yeah i think it, i think it is just straight up team or saber one of the most underrated cards in the whole format yeah uh yeah this card allows you to bounce your own creatures back to your hand it also for gives pretty cheap cost yeah you know. for two mana right yeah, one in the green. So um, good with the morphs because you flip them over, get their effect, bounce them back to your hand, play them for play free them for as free. morph, and reset, and they're just staring at you being like, so you can Den Protector again, or so you can yeah. counter or spelljack another thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's a real feel-bad card once it really gets going because of what
3: Animar does in terms of making the cost less. Mm-hmm. Um, and Team of Sabertooth, I think, is also just great in a lot of decks that want to reuse uh, abilities. Like, so many times it's like, well, I, you know, I don't
2: want to dedicate a single card just to blink once.
3: Uh, I'd rather have a card like team Sabertooth where it's repeatable
2: and you can do it over and over and over again. It, I've definitely lost in numbers of games where that's the only card in their deck that could kill me, right? So I, I had oh, yeah. a Glacial Chasm out against a green deck and they were able to get back their Acidic Slime and do it. Or I, I don't remember, I had something else that they couldn't get rid of, but they were like, okay, Acidic Slime, seven times, get rid of seven of your lands. And it's <laughs> like, okay, like that's a way around that's a way for you to attack things from different angles reusing certain effects over and over. If you ever create infinite mana with um, Team or Sabretooth and anything that does anything out, then you're just going to machine gun
3: down everything yeah uh the only other consideration i have was Ixodron, which Mm -hmm. gets played in the show but i realized that Ixodron isn't great if there's nothing else on the board right it's not Uh, good all the time it's not good all the time when it's good it's amazing because it flips your morphs back down but a lot of times you may be in a position where like i just need to play something to get rid of the board i haven't flipped my morphs over yet it's not the right timing so Ixodron requires a bit more circumstances to be like exactly right for it to be full
2: maximum potential it's more like when it's good it's good but it's not always good where team or saber tooth is just always kind of good
3: yeah because i mean like even just protecting your commander and bouncing it and stuff but there's a lot it protects of itself too protects so itself, a powerful yeah. card
2: that protects itself is very strong because or it's hard to remove like you said the enchantment thing yeah makes itself indestructible so that does make it tough to get rid of yeah i like that because when you go get your best card you want to know you're going to get use out of it right yeah. so Hermit Druid, like you said, might not be the best card to get because someone's definitely going to try and kill it if they can. Whereas Team or Sabretooth is a lot harder because they have to have Exile or you have to have no mana open. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right, the next one is my Fire Song and Sunspeaker deck, which I played in episode 25, which was with Rachel and Kenji. One of the most memorable games, I think, ever on the show, this by This is the way. where Rachel and I had a Counterspell War, <laughs> where she's in Orzhov and I'm in Boros. That was great. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what made that possible is the best card, I think, in the deck, and it's Sunforger. Easily, without a doubt. Um, the best card in a
3: lot of equipment-based decks, uh, especially Boros decks.
2: Yeah, I think if, it's, if you have Sunforger in your deck... Uh, it probably is the best card if you're a Boros deck specifically mm-hmm. or even if you're like Mardu it might be because it just it tutors and casts the card it's just ridiculous
3: yeah it is pretty ridiculous Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, I considered Flux Reservoir uh, mm-hmm. as we talked about but I think that that fits in the category like Ixodron does where when it's good it's really good but it's not right. something you'd always go get whereas right, right, Sunforger right. you're just like I, if I could start every game with that in my opening hand I would do it That that card is so good in the deck yeah I agree
3: all right, next up we have my Kumena deck, which is my merfolk tribal deck in Game Knights 14. There is an argument that a Herald's Horn or Vanquisher's Banner card is the best card in the deck, but honestly, it is just straight up Surge spanner. This is whenever uh, something gets tapped, you get to pay one in the blue and bounce a permanent. It's ridiculous. And your commander is all about tapping your other merfolk. So this is just one of those cards that by itself works with the commander. You can tap that to make your commander unblockable, and then you can pay the one in the blue to start bouncing things. Uh, when you have multiple things going when you have other cards that are able to untap your cards and just retap them over and over again bouncing permanence capsize right it's unlimited capsizes yeah yeah for for cheaper too. capsize buyback is six mana this is just one in the blue to do it Um, and because it works so well with the commander that's why i think it elevates it to the top slot just because you don't need a lot of setup for this to work you can just play your commander and this at the same time and you're already off to the races
2: it's a card that... Uh, I think we're running into a similar thing with all these. It's like, it will close out the game, but it's also just good value in the mid-game yeah. when it's not closing out the game. It's just keeping things under control. Yeah, but it also, you're always happy to have it, right? It, but it also can snowball and win you the game by itself, too. Yeah, yeah. Good uh, good, good times. Deck, the next deck we're going to talk about is my Shadowborn Apostles deck. Well, it's clearly Shadowborn Apostles. <laughs> There's 31 of them, so it's yeah, not the best card right. in the deck. <laughs> uh, this was Game Nights number 18. So... Again, I, this one, this one's tough. Yeah. I think... I think it's the first one. Here's the thing. The the card that I tutor for probably the most in the deck is Skullclamp. Mm-hmm. Because that velocity of getting extra cards is just hard to replicate. Not to mention you want to draw more than just
3: your Shadowborn Apostles.
2: Right. And you need to draw a certain amount of them, and you just need to hit all your land drops, and yeah. it just helps you in a lot of ways. However edge which allows you to cast the shadowborn apostles for free, free is is the card i tutor for the most sort of from the mid game on once i oh okay so if i already have card draw going in some other way and or enough shadowborn apostles then but if i if i didn't have either of those things and the game's going kind of mediocre for me mm-hmm. i'm probably getting skull clamp however Edgewalker. It's it's very close. It's hard for me to say which one's better. Are you walking on the edge? I'm walking on the edge. <laughs> of the two I'm cards. I'm on the edge. <laughs> of glory. Uh,
3: yeah, Edgewalker, I mean, just because it gives you the ability, it's it reminds me of the Paradox Engine,
2: yeah. where it's just like, go off, go off, can't stop me now because and of And with Athreos, a lot of times you're sacking them all to get a demon and then they have to give them back to you that you then just cast them again yeah. for free. Or they're paying a bunch of life. Yeah. yeah. But if you think of that setup, Athreos is acting as your card draw, whereas mm-hmm. that setup's not very good if you don't have a ton of you know enough card draw because then you just like play them for free, sack them, get a demon. But then what? Yeah, Ed Walker definitely
3: has the ability to have people go, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, skull Ooh, clamp it's so
2: good. Skull clamp definitely. Everybody go,
3: yeah, okay. Oh, they're all one ones, obviously. Yeah. Well, speaking um, of skull clamp. Yeah, Kyle's Locust God deck is the last uh, deck we'll talk about today. It's Kyle not even Harold. our deck. It's not even our deck, but you know, Kyle is really well known for building very powerful decks, very synergistic, very good decks that can win on turn three or four, and sometimes even he's earlier than that. He's definitely pushed them. towards competitive EDH these days. He's, yeah. he's enjoying it more. Um, and yeah. I think that's in his character. I mean, I've gone sure. rock climbing with the guy, and he's also very competitive when it comes to that. He is extremely strong and, and puts a lot of effort into it. So it makes sense that his decks would have the similar sort of like knife's edge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not down on Kyle at all because we know that about him. So every time, if you're going to play in a game with Kyle, just play your strong stuff. And it's those are fun games for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're fun games. Uh, so um, this was extra turns number two. Yeah. Uh, Locust God wants you to draw cards and then it makes hasty
3: flyers. Yes. And so Josh and I both, you put down the first one, Skull Clamp, which again, you're making one ones, you're drawing cards and you're making more flyers. So you can just keep making more flyers over and over and over again. It's unlimited card draw based on how much mana how you, man have. you have. And then yeah. you always are up one flyer. Yeah, so I think that's really, really powerful. And then I looked at the list again, I think there may be a case for Purphoros because it is the almost guaranteed way to close out the game. But Skullclamp is just so good in that deck.
2: Yeah, Perforos is great, and it's, I think it fills a closer position. But if, if the Locust God deck ever gets Purphoros out, if you don't die right yeah. there, which probably you will, then definitely, if they untap with it, you will die. You'll you'll never survive multiple Purphoros turns from the Locust God. They just got a wheel like one time that's like twenty eight to everybody. Yeah, like yeah. it's,
3: it's insanity. The thing about the Locust God deck too that's really good that made, that takes Perforos I think out of contention is that it can kill you without Purphoros. It's making yeah. a bunch of one one hasty flyers. They can still smack you in the air, and you're gonna take a lot from that. And it's hard to kill the Locust God. Yeah, like and like, what do you target? Do you kill the Locust God, or do you try and get rid of a board? Like you, like, how many board wipes do you have to play against the Locust God
2: deck to win? Yeah, I don't know a lot, and they have haste why do the flyers have haste so that's another thing with skull clamp is you can sort of play it get it going actually use the stuff right now yeah and gain more
3: flyers right like you start with one now you have two then you have three four and it just keeps going up so
2: very very powerful interesting okay to the listeners how do you decide what the best card in your deck is are there any categories that we missed that you use to categorize you know what the great cards in your deck are i'd also like to know in the comments you know maybe list deck name best card right and, and put what Commander, it is. Commander, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you think, yeah. You know, you, if you have 20 decks, you don't have to do it for all of them, but do two or three of your decks. Just say, yeah, Rune, colon, Seedborn Muse. Just just let us know what decks you have and what you think the best card is in that deck. What yeah. what card you go get in most situations. I'd also be interested to
3: see what that card is for lower-powered commanders. Yeah. All the commanders we talked about today were pretty up there in terms of, like, they're just good, you know, cards in general, but, like, maybe for the decks that are, you know, the, like, what's the best card
2: in SRAM? Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> it's cuz it's like is it just Is zero? it one of the other like creatures that draws you cards or it might be like Yeah, or like the Orias's aid or something that allows you yeah. to equip at instant speed. It might be an, an enabler.
3: Yeah, an enabler because every other card in that deck kind of like the Shadowborn and the Apostles deck synergizes with the commander super Yeah,
2: well. it's not any of the zero casts uh Yeah equipments, but it might you be... You could
3: say zero Cast as a whole,
2: but then that's not the single
3: best card in That's cheating. Yeah, that is cheating.
2: Well, when you identify what those best cards are, <laughs> uh, then you probably want to, if you don't already have them, buy them. And the best way to do that and the best place to do that is cardkingdom.com slash zone. If you use that affiliate link when you order all your Magic products, singles, anything at all, you know the holiday season is coming up. We're buying a lot of gifts for our friends and family. Yeah, that's a great this point. This is a good time to use that affiliate link to double dip. You're getting something for your friends and your family, something that they're going to enjoy. You're helping support content that you enjoy. Uh, Card Kingdom will get it there super fast too. And if they say they're going to get it there before the holidays, they definitely are going yes. to do that. And that is a worry at this time of year. Definitely like this is when you don't want to be messing around with like places that take a long time to ship. Definitely not. And you want to
3: trust the people that's coming from it. and you want to trust that those are all going to come at the same time and another great stocking stuffer is oh, yeah. ultra pro products that's right if you're buying someone a pre-con you should buy them 100 sleeves to go with it maybe like a satin tower deck box maybe the playmat that matches their commander Ooh. maybe you know they lo- they love aminato and they they've always wanted to go in for it or they love jesper's art for and blader blossom like, yeah, yeah yeah so ultra pro has been making products forever they have every single magic product under the sun that you can imagine and think of and it's always tied to new set releases they've got tons of stuff in the past as well whenever you see for instance even a uh, kickstarter for someone else doing a playmat they're usually made through ultra pro so if you buy ultra pro products at your big box retailers at car kingdom or at your lgs you're also supporting our show there so we very much
2: appreciate it all right now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic is that the i don't have one? i don't have one this i have time. one yes i have I knew one. it see i felt it <laughs> I can never tell if you're like I have something awesome or I have nothing at all. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> chomping at the bit this time. Okay, so do you know Riley Knight? Yes. Riley Knight Riley is Tower. Yes, Riley Knight is one of the commentators for a lot of live magic tournaments and events. I think he's worked on the Pro Tour, mm-hmm. Mythic Championships, Invitationals, whatever they're called now, GPs. Does a lot of stuff with Channel Firewall. Um I got to play at Command Fest Seattle in that charity event with Riley, took oh, him out, cool. took him out in his Commadeck. Um That was fun, but in the process of hanging out with Riley a little bit, and we'd met him at Vegas, Mm -hmm. we'd met him before this, but um, he mentioned that he has a history podcast that he does. No way. I was like, wait, what? How have I not heard of this? So, it's called Half-Arsed History. (laughs) It's a little different than hardcore history. Yeah, (laughs) he's Aussie, so I guess they say arsed as well. Um, Okay. But it is, yeah, he's, I didn't know this, but he's like, he studied history. So he's like a Uh, history guy. And, you know, I talk about my favorite podcasts. A lot of them are history podcasts. mm -hmm. Um, So I started listening to it. It's really, really good. Uh, Riley's right, a funny guy. He's yes. obviously good on camera and good. He's got a certain charisma and he's charming. And so, uh, his yeah, wit is second
3: to none. He is so fast. Yeah, and uh, his podcast content. has
2: a lot of like funny. Like he's Aussie, so he's using a lot of Aussie slang and stuff. But he he's really relating history, not in this dry, boring like British style or something.
3: He, <laughs> sorry, Brits. Sorry, <laughs> the Aussies uh, win this one.
2: <laughs> he's like he's like yeah he's like commenting in a way that you can relate to, tying cool. it into like pop culture references and things like that. And and it's really easy and fast and. and and enjoyable. Um, So another thing that I listen to at the gym. That's uh, great. Half-arsed history. Everyone else is just pounding
3: hard beats and you're just like listening to Aussie humor about (laughs) some event in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, If you want to listen to other podcasts that aren't half-arsed, you should check out The Masters of Modern. Uh, You can find them at the MMCast online on Twitter, as well as going to YouTube, searching them up. They're doing videos now. And right next to us on Collected.Company. They're hosted by Ben Bateman and Alex Kessler.
2: Our editing and graphics and logistics team is Craig Monchette, Ashlyn Rose, Alfred Estaca, Terry Robertson, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Sam Waldo, and we just added a new member of the team. Lady Danger is here helping us out. Welcome, welcome. Yes, tons of editing to be done. Thank you, everyone. Oh, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Card animations that begin and end all of our shows, as well as the cool animations behind us in the windows. You can find Jeffrey at Living Cards MTG. And of course, all of this is possible thanks to your wonderful support on Patreon,
3: as well as the Kickstarter that just finished the game nights. Uh, So again, like when we're making new hires here, when we're adding staff on, it's thanks to your support that we're able to do it and increase the content and all that stuff. So thank you again to everyone that donated. And if you're curious, we will post updates on the website. We're going to be sending out uh, surveys and all that stuff to collect our information. So don't fret. It's all coming. We just need to get everything settled after the big campaign.
2: Yeah, the Kickstarter went really, really well. We were blown away by all the support. So thanks so much, everybody out there. Thank you, everybody. All right, and we will see you next time. Peace.